electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be one of my friends. I'm just trying to make real money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Ah, the curse of winning. The pain of success rewarded. I'm talking about the ingratitude of a shareholder base sated by the intoxication of profits so easily willing to move on as circumstances and valuations change. And that was the story of today as the Dow backslid 46 points, S&P advanced 0.12%, Nasdaq edged up 0.07%. Funny days like today are discouraging. They show you the darker side of the deflation that the Federal Reserve is trying to engineer. And you better get used to these days. There'll be many more. Now, look, as investors, we're all cheering for Jay Powell to tame the scourge of inflation and tamp down the cost of living. You know, I think he's succeeding, maybe sometimes too well. But in order to ensure success, the Fed had to raise interest rates, which makes it more expensive to borrow money, slowing all sorts of industries. And that's the dark side that I'm talking about. Jay Powell did what every other successful Fed chief has had to do to break the psychology of an inflationary spiral. Unfortunately, we also know that this fight against inflation tends to produce a lot of collateral damage. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. See, it doesn't work out for, say, Walmart. That's America's largest brick-and-mortar retailer, which reported this morning and saw its stock taken to the woodshed, plummeting 8%. The house of pain. Did Walmart deliver a bad quarter? Hardly. I thought the quarter was excellent. But it did have flaws, namely an inflated stock price. It was price for perfection coming into the quarter. And lots of merchandise impacted by newfound deflation. That's a toxic brew. Walmart and also Costco have been the two best performers in the large-scale retail because they consistently offer the best prices during an inflationary environment. But that also means they're the first to feel the pain of deflation once prices start going down. And that's how you get this tepid same-store sales number from Walmart. As long as prices were going higher, there was a built-in bias towards stronger same-store sales because the price increases literally inflated that number. Walmart got tens of millions of people shopping each week, and if Walmart had to pay a little more for goods, then so they did. But we're now on the other side, where Walmart's selling goods that it bought higher, and now it needs to cut prices. 
That makes the same store sales look worse by comparison. It's just a fact of life. It's, it's arithmetic. Deflation does that to you. So what happens? Okay, investors who like Walmart for its ever-improving same-store sales that benefited from inflation now took a look at the new same-store sales, and what they saw? They saw deceleration. It's almost inconceivable to me that one bad line item of a whole host of good ones could bring this colossus down. But the shorthand takeaway from this quarter was, and you heard it over and over again today, decelerating same-store sales. And it couldn't be defeated, so the sellers swarmed in and beat the stock to a bloody pulp. Of course, you might wonder, well, wait a second, Target reported it had weaker same-store sales, too. Yet its stock shot up nearly 20 bucks. Isn't that a double standard? The answer is yes, of course, it's a double standard. And there's a good reason for it. People are expecting weaker numbers across the board from Target, including earnings. But unlike Walmart, Target posted a gigantic earnings beat. Nobody saw that one coming. The difference between these two stocks is all about the proverbial bar. Walmart's previous performance had been stellar, so the bar for them was set too high. On the other hand, the bar for Target was set down on the floor, and they easily cleared it. Now, both companies commented about a cash-trapped consumer that's caught in the crosshairs of higher interest charges and higher food costs. They were both hurt equally. It's just that going into the quarter, we assumed Target couldn't handle it, and Walmart could. Hey, turns out Target's handling the stress with new and exciting merchandise. Thank you, Brian Cornell, CEO, told us about it. It's working great. Who else is hurting from higher rates and the changes they create with customers? Well, a company we had on last night, Palo Alto Networks. They got trapped by the Fed's relentless rate hikes. Last night, the CEO, Nikesh Arora, told us that the cost of borrowing money is causing his customers to keep their contracts shorter. Shorter contracts means lower billings. Again, like the decelerating same-store sales for Walmart, billings are supposed to be the key metric that gauges the performance of a company like Palo Alto. But this time, the billings actually didn't give you an accurate read of the company's sales or profits. That's what Nikesh was telling us on the show last night. It was, alas, confusing. And when your stock is the sixth best performer in the S&P 500, as Palo Alto's was as of last night's close, confusion doesn't cut it. You can't convince Wall Street to switch the key metric, even if it makes sense. People just assume you're making excuses. And then there's the obvious impact that the Fed mandated slowdown. I mean, have you seen the price of oil? It plummeted. This could be good for Jay Powell. It plummeted nearly 5% to less than $73 a barrel today. I think it's 70 that, that we get an OPEC meeting at the end of the month. The Saudis will make it so it stops, but not right now. Oil had run up on a belief that the war in Gaza would spiral out of control, turning to a, reg- a regional conf- conflict uh, uh, across the Middle East. Now, if something like that happened in Yom Kippur War in 1973, when oil soared and again. Speculators looking for a repeat of the 1973 war went huge into oil, wading into the darn stuff, and now they're trying to extract themselves as world events just didn't play out their way. It's not just geopolitics. You're seeing oil prices fall from lower use and from a cessation of panic. Obviously, this is good news for the consumer, but the oil stocks are cratering. Yeah, Chevron, Conoco, Occidental, they all got clobbered. I think Occidental, by the way, has been brought up way too high by Warren Buffett. Everybody knows he owns a big stake in the company, and if the company doesn't get a takeover bid, the stock, I think, goes the lowest of all these ones that I'm talking about. Again, not everyone benefits from deflation. How do you handle this moment? How do you build a portfolio around it? Well, I think you look for companies that were ready for deflation. Costco, for example, has monitored price levels, and it's amazing CFO Richard Galanti not only told you to expect deflation, the company itself was even pushing deflation along by demanding lower prices from its suppliers or making its own branded stuff and selling it through the suppliers. Or you look for companies with such incredible pricing power that the Fed's fight against inflation can't really impact the bottom line. Hey, that's what's going on with the stock of Microsoft. They just held a conference where it talked about products like it seems like the sky's the limit on pricing. Microsoft's co-pilot artificial intelligence helper is getting rave reviews. A terrific Piper Sandler survey this morning showed that 64% of its respondents spent less time processing email, 70% were more productive, and 77% would order co-pilot over a free weekly lunch. 
That's pricing power. I believe that AI enablers like Adobe and, yes, ServiceNow are both price makers, and that's why their stocks seem to live on the new high list. It's hard to fathom that a Walmart can plummet while Target roars higher, or that commodity deflation can happen so swiftly as we're seeing in the oil pits. But that's what happens when the Fed begins to win the fight against inflation. And it is doing that. The good news of lower prices finally is breaking this inflationary spiral. is also bad news for the profits of many companies. It'll take some sorting out, but never believe that lower consumer prices are just a magical elixir for stock market gains. Bottom line, saying goodbye to inflation is sweet, but there's a little momentary sorrow, too. That's the sorrow of a Walmart or a Chevron or a Palo Alto Networks and so many other companies that are victims of their own success. David in Virginia. David! Booyah! United States David, booyah to you, Jimbo. Man, what's happening? One Thank you. One away from graduation at GW University. Tell me about that innovative technology company, FTX. I'm glad you called it an innovative technology company because that is exactly what Raj Subramanian is doing to it. And I think that's why you're getting a nice, I'm telling you, 254 is a nice price. I would be a buyer of FedEx right here, right now. How about Karen in New Jersey? Karen. Hi, Jim the Hat Kramer. Yeah, yeah, you betcha. All right. I recently purchased uh, shares in Booking Holding. Yes. Um, I see the company as the NVIDIA of the travel industry. Whoa. Um, at 3100 a share, where do you see the stock going from here? And do you think a stock split is a strong possibility? Uh, well, I wish Glenn Fogel would split, but you're absolutely I mean, NVIDIA is high praise, obviously, but they have, they have the best. They probably have one of the four or five best quarters of this, of this reporting season, and I think you're absolutely right to go for it. If they split that stock 10 for one, you'd have a lot more buyers, but they seem to want to keep it at, you know, at a $3,000 price. I think it's silly. Let's go to Anthony in Florida. Anthony. Booyah, 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 Jim. How's it going? Triple booyah. It's the second triple booyah. I'm doing well. How about you? <laughs> pretty good, pretty good. I'm calling you about ticker ULCC, Frontier Airlines. I'm, I'm hearing uh, domestic travel is coming down, and, and I know a lot of the business travel is coming down as well, but I Pure spec. myself Pure spec, my friend. $4 spec. I'd rather, you know, you put $5 on, uh, daily, on DFS, Daily Fantasy, on Sunday, or you put $3 in this. I think it's pretty much the same thing. Actually, I'm pretty good at Daily Fantasy. All right, anyway, breaking the inflationary spiral is welcome news for most, but never believe that lower prices are going to lift the entire market. Man, buddy, tonight, should you hit your ride on the rails with CSX? Or could inflationary pressures put on the brakes? Don't miss my excuse with the CEOs. We talk everything from autos to energy. Then, uh, interested on buying on holding on its post earnings decline? Hey, I'm going to give you the real story on this one. Plus, is it high time for side time? I'm sitting down with the CEO of this under-the-radar Apple supplier, so stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on X. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Mentions. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. Or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. 
With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. All right, we got we got a treat here. And for the cooler that expected inflation readings this week, there is this newfound sense of optimism that the Federal Reserve might finally be done raising interest rates. I'm on board. No recession needed, just the softest of landings. Hey, look, if that's the case, I have been through many cycles. It's time to circle back to the cyclicals, the companies that need a strong economy to really thrive. And that includes transports and transports like CSX. That's the gigantic East Coast Railroad where the stock is barely moving yet today. But why should it have yet? Because the Fed was still tightening. CSX reported mostly inline quarter last month. But if you're feeling more sanguine about the economy, this is the one. A lot upside. Don't take it from me. Let's check in with Joe Hendricks. He's the president and CEO of CSX to get a better read of the situation. Mr. Hendricks, welcome to Man Money. Jim, great to be here with you. Okay, so I know you can't just do it to the week. I know you can't look at your book and say, well, this is going to happen. But if we are indeed done, the textbooks do say that your order books are going to start filling up. Well, we mentioned in our third quarter earnings call, actually, in October, that we were seeing some progress in the fourth quarter. And we've had Good momentum into the fourth quarter, actually. So we're seeing some of that. Chemicals are coming back a little bit. Autos post-strike are coming back. Grain harvest has been good. So we're seeing some of that. Well, I also think that you are, I was speaking to Rivian today, and I was thinking, people can talk about where the, where the cars are going to be made. They're in your area. They are. I used to be on the board of Rivian, actually. RJ is a good friend of mine. And He's Rivian, a smart fellow. He is. He is a yeah. great guy. And Rivian, you know what Rivian stands for? Indian River in Florida, which is where he grew up. It's a backwards, anyway, a little information for you. No, I don't. Rivian, send, me the, send me the bag of grapefruits. We'll have a couple of We'll do it. We're, you know, Sunshine State. Yeah. But Rivian's building a plant outside Atlanta on our network. Right. Ford's plant outside of Memphis being built on our network. VinFast plant in North Carolina being built on our network. So a lot of industrial development in the southeast, and we're fortunate to have a lot on our network. Now, I know that there are some things that I, th- I wanted to be better. I, I always like when intermodal's good, uh, but it's not yet, right? Well, domestic intermodal since around June, July has been picking up. International intermodal, again, consumers purchasing goods. When that picks back up, and maybe it will if the Fed's Fed's done, we can see more imports coming in, and then we can see some growth there. But the domestic intermodal has been growing. All right. Now, the thing that I think that you're already known for is uh, you're a customer. 
That's right. You were a customer, an auto customer. So you know it, you point blank said it, that it's been frustrating to deal with railroads, even though you're a big dog. So you're changing that now for the people on the other side of the equation. Well, 30 years in the auto industry, and I had a lot of time dealing with railroads. I retired as president of Ford, as you know, about three and a half years ago. And I came into CSX and said, listen, a lot of people do business with the railroads because they have to, not because they want to. But we're going to change that. And so for the last year, we've been delivering industry-leading service levels, right. which is leading to growth in market share and leading growth opportunities for us with customers. Now, there are people out there listening right now, and they're saying, well, what does he mean? I mean, doesn't everybody provide good service? But in reality, the rails are not necessarily known for good service. Well, they haven't been. First, you know, coming out of the COVID, there was a manpower shortage, right. and we had really big challenges. But, you know, there's a, there's a notion that the railroads haven't been as focused on the customers as we'd like them to be. We're trying to change that. And we've actually challenged our employees through a 1CSX initiative to be engaged to make that happen, all of our employees, especially our union employees. And we're encouraged by what we're seeing. Well, you know, I've read one of, your, one of your statements that not everybody wants to be a railroad person. And yet I think there will always be a a place for people really want that job. Yeah, it used to be we had a thousand people standing in line for one yeah. job. Now we have recruiters out trying to find people. What happened, Joe? I mean, well, why are you know, it's, it's, an out, it's, a, it's an outdoor sport. You right. know, you're outside. We're seven days, every day of the year, holidays, 24 hours a day. So you got to, it's a lifestyle. Right. And you're away from home if you're in the, on the conductors and engineers side. So we got to make it better, make it more for work-life balance. But it's a well-paying job. And, it's, and realtors are very proud people. Now, when will you be able to go to customers and say, you know what? I'm looking at your trying to be carbon-free, neutral by 50, by 30, and you can't do it without our, without our help because if you just use straight-out trucks, you're going to violate your own uh, your own strictures. And when does that happen? We're hap- it's happening now, actually. Tell me. Tell me on, what on kind our of ships, phone, On our ship CSX, our software, you can yeah. put in and say, I use truck or I use rail. What are my emissions? You can, it's real. You can calculate it, and you can take credit for it if you're a customer. We're four to five times better for the environment than truck. Um, and we're cheaper. So where do you find something where we actually can be better for the environment and lower costs for the for our customers? It's unheard of, and we got to take advantage of that. Well, at the same time, I always felt that uh, our roads can't handle all the trucks, that there's just Damn. another incentive. I keep thinking there's got to be this environmental breakout one day where the trucks are just going to say, well, you know what, we can't compete with the rails. You know what else? Taxpayers pay for the roads. We pay for our own infrastructure and for our capital. So actually, it's better for taxpayers to be on the railroads, too. But we got to deliver the service. We have to deliver the service and have the capacity to make that happen. And we're committed to that at CSX. All right, I got to talk coal. I mean, look, it's one day maybe we don't have to talk coal. But in the meantime, you make a lot of money with coal. Uh, talk about export coal. Talk about domestic coal. Where are we? Natural gas went from 2 to 350. Maybe it's a little bit is it less competitive. Yeah, but the export coal has been, the growth has been strong. So yeah. what's happening, Jim, to, to your viewers is metallurgical coal, which is used in the production of steel, right. has been booming in export. Prices are up, and they've been exporting to Eastern Europe, to India, with all that growth. Even thermal coal has been growing in export. So we have the largest, we have the second largest um, coal export port in the East Coast, in Baltimore. So we export it ourselves, and we're very proud of that. Thermal coal, domestically, we expect to be down a little bit right. because... Natural gas, as you said, has been lower. Also, the utilities were behind. Now the inventories are back up and replenished. But we'll watch that very carefully. Do you think there's ever, uh, can housing, it's so hard to build homes now. And that's one of the things we saw from the home builders, like a Lennar. Yeah. But it is bad that lumber, that forest products tend to up. Can't have that. Forest products have been down all year. Yeah. It's mostly tied to housing. Okay. Pulp, board, paper. 
Um, it's been down. We'll see when housing comes back up. Of course, we want to move all that lumber and all those goods, but that's the one that's been soft all year, okay. along with international and intermodal. And the one that I'm thinking should be great is to somehow you get to do the natural gas, liquids, chemicals to the Gulf. Can we ever see double digit there? Because we have now become the most powerful force in the world for NGL. I think we could. I think it's all about, you know, getting the infrastructure and the right. transportation network set up. But doing that, right? We are. We are. And of course, if the Gulf is tied to more of the Western railroads, then we pick it up in New Orleans right. and take it to the east, which we're proud and happy to do. But a big opportunity for us. We already moved most of the things that hazardous you know, chemicals and materials today, and we're ready to move more when we can. And then uh, we should be booming in ag and food products. What happened there? The grain harvest in the Midwest, which is where we start to see it, um, is delayed a little bit this year, but still very strong. We're seeing it peak, start to peak right now, and we're expecting a pretty strong harvest in the in the Midwest. The southern part hasn't seen as much. There's a lot right. of imports from the from Brazil and whatnot. But definitely the Midwest grain harvest looks strong. Well, I think you're the man for CSX. I thought oh, you were a man in Ford. You know, we had a good run there, Ford. I said, you know, Farley's still doing a good job. It's been tough that. of late. But. It's been tough. The UAW contract was tough. I led four of those national negotiations, so right. I'm glad they're I know over. you did. I'm glad they're over, but I'm proud to be at CSX. Good deal. Thank you very much. That's Joe Hendricks. He's the CEO of CSX. And look, you want to stock, you always think, oh, everything's going to a high. This one, once it gets rolling, I got to tell you, it doesn't stop. Man, money's back into the break. After the break, what's tying this stock up in knots? Kramer gets to the soul of the matter. See if the shoe fits next. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Back on Tuesday morning, we got some results from one of my favorite growth companies. Junior growth companies, actually. It's a Swiss sneaker maker. It's called on holding. And I got to tell you, it was downright confusing. First, the stock tumbled 3.4%, despite Tuesday being a terrific day for the market. Then, upon further review, Wall Street changed its mind. So the stock shot up 8% yesterday before giving back some of those gains today. Oh, it has truly been just a complete wild ride for this one, especially when you remember that on holding had already pulled back pretty substantially from its highs in August from $37 down to $26 and change when the company reported. What made the quarter so perplexing, even to pros who follow shoes really closely? Well, it certainly wasn't the numbers. On holding delivered yet another stellar quarter with 46.5% revenue growth, much better than expected. But with the best gross margin since the stock came public two years ago and a size learning speed, those usually should be what all you need to get a stock going higher. When you dig deeper, on holding saw strong growth from direct to consumer channel, DTC up 54.6% year over year. They love cutting out that middleman selling their shoes directly to you. Uh, it's better than company-owned stores or their website. Well, I've got to tell you, I thought the DTC was spectacular. They didn't have to discount much merchandise, and they saved a great deal from falling freight costs, too, which had been a real problem for them. Hence the magnificent margins. On's inventory fell for the second straight quarter, putting the company in a great position going to the holidays. They have enough product to meet higher levels of demand, but not so much that they'll have to cut pricing if the extra demand doesn't materialize. 
Now, this is a global operation, but on strength came largely from the Americas, where sales were up 60.5%, and from Asia Pacific, up 71.5%. The European business was softer than expected, but that was more than offset by the rest of the world. How about the guidance? Well, managers said they're, quote, heading into the holiday season with confidence in the strength of the on brand and in the strength of our products, end quote. They raised their full year sales and gross margin forecast, but not the earnings forecast because they're investing more money in growing the business. These numbers were higher than expected, but I think the guidance, it was the guidance, as I always tell you, the most important thing, thinking forward, that created an element of confusion here that contributed to Wall Street's initially negative reaction to the Why? Right, well, first, while the, ra- the, the company raised full-year sales outlook, it was, it was typically above Wall Street's consensus assessment. On holding more or less only raised its full-year forecast by the amount that it beat expectations by in the quarter they just reported. In other words, they weren't giving a more optimistic outlook for the fourth quarter, or they would have raised their numbers more. They would have made a higher forecast. In fact, their full-year sales guidance only implies 21% growth in the fourth quarter. That is a major deceleration. While on holding noted expects 30% growth on a constant currency basis, there's no getting around the fact that their sales growth is slowing. They just gave us 47% growth in the third quarter, so the deceleration at 21%, well, that'd be pretty meaningful. And that's freaking people out. Of course, on growth should naturally come down over time, thanks to the law of large numbers, right? And a 21% growth rate is something that many mature companies would die for. But that's still not what you want to see, even if they're up against tougher comps in the fourth quarter. Making the situation even more puzzling, On Holding had some more specific commentary about the wholesale channel that raised some eyebrows. Listen to this. Quote, due to a number of transitory impacts, On anticipates a fourth quarter wholesale growth rate of high single digits. Ouch. High single digits. What's the blame? They say, quote, these transitory impacts include the early holiday shipment of some wholesale orders recorded in the third quarter of 2023, resulting in an element of pull forward of Q4 volumes. And quite again, not what we want to hear. Basically, on holding said that some of its sales into wholesale channels were pulled forward in the third quarter. And because the opposite thing happened last year, wholesale orders that should have shipped in the third quarter were delayed to the fourth quarter. They're now up against much more difficult comparisons, not, against, not apples to apples. And that's why the wholesale side of the business should only have high single-digit growth in the current quarter, down from the low 40s in the quarter they just reported. And that spooked people. It spooked people real bad. These comments also likely made investors wonder whether the strong third quarter results on on holding just reported might have been illusory. Hey, maybe it wasn't that big a beat after all. Maybe it wasn't that impressive if they were simply pulling forward business from the fourth quarter. On top of that, management talked about, and I quote, wholesale doors closure, end quote, and the lower number of new wholesale channel door additions, which might have confused people. Don't let the industry lingo confuse you. Wholesale doors just means third-party retailers that sell on products. So the company's basically saying that it's going to be less aggressive about getting its shoes into new third-party stores. Maybe some investors figured that that could cause their overall sales growth to take a hit. But I think that's the wrong way to look at this issue. And I'm generally more sanguine on the entire situation than all the verbiage I just gave you. First of all, the timing stuff between the third and fourth quarter, it's meaningless to me. Who cares? What's important is that at the beginning of the year, on holding guided for 39% sales growth in 2023, and now they actually it's going to be 46. No need to sweat the small stuff when your underlying story is this good. As for the wholesale door closures issue, again, I mean, think about what's happening here. On Holding has made it crystal clear that they want to prioritize their direct-to-consumer business, meaning sales through their own stores or their website. I see that as the best strategy because it carries much higher margins and it makes the company less reliant on the success of other retailers. You don't want to be hostage, say, to Foot Locker if you could avoid it. 
Chapel Trust owns Foot Locker, so it's tough. So if on holding wants to boost their direct-to-consumer business, of course they're going to expand less aggressively on the wholesale side. What else do you expect? Finally, I'm not worried about the seemingly cautious elements of on guidance because I expect them to blow away their, their own forecast once again. These guys, this is what matters, these guys have beaten sales expectations in every quarter since they came public. That is nine quarters in a row. In fact, they've never beaten the consensus number by less than 5%. Sounds like Lululemon to me. So I feel pretty confident saying that on holding is likely going to have a strong holiday season, allowing it to top its somewhat conservative forecast. In retrospect, I think all the hand-wringing we saw on Tuesday will look downright silly, and not just because my wife has so many pairs of clouds that three of them are in my closet. Here's the bottom line. Don't be misled by Wall Street's confusing reaction to on holdings. The fast-growing footwear company reported a fantastic quarter with encouraging guidance. And I think the stock is a screaming buy when you remember how much it's pulled back over the past three months. As I see it, you're getting a terrific quarter for free. What's not to like? Jeff in California. Jeff. Booyah, booyah, booyah to you, Jimmy Chill. We love you in downtown L.A. There you go. And I love downtown L.A. From the days when I lived in my car, it was very, very hospitable. Olive Street. That was another place they let me hang out. What's going on? Oh, Lord Jesus. Anyway, Jim, because we are right in the middle of the basketball and football season, it would appear to be a no-brainer to buy DraftKings. Now, but since November 1st, DraftKings has popped from 27 bucks a share to 37 bucks a share because thousands of people right now are gambling on football and basketball. Can I buy it high or should I wait for a little pullback? And well, okay. what if there is no now, Jeff, I got to tell you, first of all, thank you for the kind comments. I think Jason Robinson doing an amazing job. Now, I've been recommending this stock for a long time, and it popped big this week. I think you got to wait for a pullback at this point. And I don't feel, I mean, look, I, it just, I just, you need to pull back. This thing has just been too red hot. It's up 227%. It would be reckless of me to just say, go buy it right up here. That said, if this thing pulls back, I got to tell you something. Bye, bye, bye. Mike in Wisconsin. Mike. Booyah, Jim. Love Booyah. You, love your show. Love thank you, you. Love your show. Whoa, thank Mike. you very much. This is Mike calling from the great state of Wisconsin. I'm gearing up for the gun deer opener this weekend, and I have to say it's one of my favorite traditions, Jim. It ranks right up there with watching Mad Money from my dinner table each and every night. Well, there you go. Thank you very much. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. On yesterday's show, you mentioned growth company laggards, uh, which quality companies that, outside of the Magnificent Seven, may have been forgotten about or overlooked by the money managers. Correct. Um, And I wanted to get your thoughts on Etsy and how money managers might be looking at it in this environment as, um, you know, interest rates fall and, and the Fed stops tightening. It's funny you mention it because I got to tell you something, Mike. I look to think about whether I should put Etsy on the list because I think it's turning right here. But I didn't have enough hardcore evidence to do so. But I think that Josh Silverman is going to get that thing going again and you're not getting a bad price at all. So I am blessing that idea and I thank you for all your consideration. Don't be fooled by the streets reaction on holy latest quarter. Company's still executing, I and mean, it's executing well. I think it's a real buy. Much more man money, and I'm sitting down with an on, on, real under the radar player that counts some big customers, including Apple, on his agenda. Don't miss my exclusive with a company called Saigon, S-I-T-I-M-E. Then Chinese President Xi sat down to dinner with some of America's top CEOs last night, shortly after meeting with President Biden. I'll tell you how some of the top business leaders could be setting the table for U.S.-China relations. 
and I'll do it in a funny way. And of course, all your calls probably fired tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. weeks ago, we got this call from Gary in California who wanted to know about Cytime. That's a small cap maker of timing shifts. They're using everything from smartwatches, data centers, planes, automobiles, big market. If you're doing some homework, I circle back to this one a few days later, it said that Cytime looked like a pretty good opportunity. It might be early. But this is a tough story for anyone who's not an electrical engineer to get their head around, which I am not, which is why we were thrilled when the company reached out to us and offered to come on the show to explain their, their, what they do directly. So let's take a closer look. With Rajesh Washis. He's the chairman and CEO of Sidetime. To learn more about what they do, Mr. Washis, welcome to Mad Money. Hey, Jim, thanks so much for having me. Okay. It's a real pleasure to be here. Oh, you're very kind. You're very kind. I want people to understand what they own. That's really important. That's and right. I think people have to start with what are precision timing solutions used for? That's right. So, timing is the heartbeat of all electronics. Every electronics you can think of needs a timing chip. About 15 years ago, we decided to revolutionize the market, take out the 70-year-old technology, which is quartz-based crystals, and change it to semiconductors. And as you know, semiconductors always wins when it goes up against non-semiconductors. That's our business. Well, wait. I mean, quartz has been time immemorial. Quartz is the toughest thing in the world. Why wouldn't quartz work for everything else? Well, because it's not semiconductors. Semiconductors is the best technology ever known. We are programmable. We're 125th the size. We can take 50,000 G-forces as compared to 2,000 G-forces. We can be connected to built in a fab, the quality, reliability. All of those things just make it ideal. Semiconductors. So uh, something like aerospace where you really have to worry about, or data centers where they can That's burn right. real hot. These all work for you. That's right. And so, for example, Google or, or Meta or anybody who's in a hyperscaler business would like to use our parts, perhaps in the opticals, perhaps in the interconnect, or as you said, aerospace, SpaceX, or customers like that in the low Earth orbit satellites, that's a great market for us. Well, are you one of the reasons why a smartwatch is just so much more exciting and informative than my old dumb quartz watch? That's right, and we have some of the biggest smartwatch makers in the world that use our product, and one in particular, Garmin, for example, uses our parts all the time. Now, you also have a, a, in the last quarter, you talked about, uh, in general, our Chinese business is robust. I thought that was interesting, and it's a meaningful, meaningful part of your revenue, because a lot of people aren't seeing good business in China. Why is your business doing so well there? Yeah, so part of our business in China is the automotive business. And we okay. are in 60% of all Chinese EVs. We're in 80% of all U.S. EVs. So electric vehicles, which are also a short way of saying automated driving, right. radar, LIDAR, cameras, you know, the displays, all of them work with our chips. So like assisted driving, how does that, do you play in that world? So you need 12 cameras that tell you what right. sensor's coming right. in. You need a radar, you need LiDAR, you need smart mirrors, and all of that that computes with a high-performance computing system, any kind of AI system, perhaps a dojo system, any of those. Now, uh, when I look at, at your total adjustable market, first I think, well, I know people say it's $8 billion, $10 billion. 
But if everything uses you, conceivably, we shouldn't even be thinking about total addressable market. It's just whatever device needs to be smarter, it might be yours. So if there's artificial intelligence making things smarter, right. there's a reason to believe that you might be in part of artificial intelligence. That's right. So giving credit to the quartz industry, as you said earlier, 70 years they've been doing a fantastic job. Right. We're not trying to displace them. We're not a market share game. We are delivering chips, precision timing chips that we invented with our MEMS technology that are so dramatically different. So that's why we're 85% single source with our customers. This is a great place for us to be given that there's 40 purveyors of quartz crystal. We're the only ones in this technology. Now, when you say MEMS, that's microelectromechanical systems. So, I mean, are you, are, this is just something that you guys, no one else has that? Nobody has this kind of MEMS. You know, you and I are very familiar with circuits and circuits are electrical circuits. Right. MEMS is moving parts, moving parts in silicon. So we have resonators that vibrate for 30 years at millions times a second and without any failures. How great is that? Wow, that's incredible. And I love the fact that, I mean, when I look at all the different, you've got some great stuff in changing the world of timing. You created precision timing. That's no right. one had done this before you? Yeah, so I love being a category creator. My previous company, I did that. I like to go into large markets. At the time when we started here, it was a $5 billion market. Now it's 10, it's headed to be a $20 billion market and disrupt that. That is where great, great companies are made. Okay, now we know uh, from NVIDIA, we know from AMD, they do fabulous semi, you do fabulous semi too. They're absolutely fabulous semi. We do our MEMS chips at Bosch in Stuttgart in Germany. They're leaders and we do our analog chips at TSMC in Taiwan, oh, another okay. leader. Now, let's say I need to know is that there was a, you had this really boom period and then there was an inventory glut. Right. Now, where are we in terms of working that off? Because I know, and I always tell people, look, when you're a quarter away from the end of that, you can't wait till after it's over. Then the stock is already going up big. Where do you think we are in this cycle? So what we did, what, what happened was that our customers overordered. Right. Things were tough during the pandemic. Overordered, they double ordered because they needed it really badly. Exactly. They weren't dumb. They exactly. just needed it really badly. Exactly. And they didn't want to have shortages, and we supported them. But now we, they realize that they have built too much inventory between right. themselves and their contract manufacturers. Now they've been bringing it all down. Right. Demand is ticking up. We believe that Q2 was our lowest quarter. We, we went up by about 28% in Q3 and we've guided to about 15 to 20% up in uh, Q4 of and this Of which you said there are many new customers, not just the That's same right. old, which That's I thought right. was really significant because right. that can come in and burn through all the inventory. That's right. We also have new customers, new use cases. We have 300 use cases, 15,000 customers. Wow. This might be the time. Now, this might be the time. Look, I mean, everyone's waiting for the time for, for ADL, you know, Vance Bicar. They're waiting for Intel. This may be the time for your company. So I'm so glad that you came on right now. Well, I'm so glad. And, you know, it's the people that make this company great. And we build a great culture. Magic happens at Saitan. Magic happens. There we go. That's Rajesh Washis. He's the chairman, president, and CEO of Saitan. Thank you, Gary, for bringing us a very exciting story. Man Money's back at the break. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky's the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. It is time. It's time for the lightning round. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski day. Time for the lightning round. Kramer's about to start in New Jersey. Barry. Hey, Jim, you know I love what you do at CNBC. Thank you, Barry. 
Yeah, how, how, how's your week been? Up there, up there, how about you? Yeah, well, I was down at Winberry's in summer with my brother-in-law, and we were talking about Monday Night Football, and I really hope your hometown Eagles beat Taylor and the Swifty Chiefs and KC on Monday. Well, you know, I would have bought your body if I knew you were in town, but I just did. It's just the first I heard of it. So, well, how can we help? How can I help? <laughs> well, I'm calling in tonight because I'd like your opinion on a company. Uh, they've received investments of $215 million from Stellantis, Boeing, and United Airlines, and they're in the field of commercialization of flying cars. Archer, a- Archer Aviation. Okay, Barry, this one's way too speculative for me. It's going to have to be on your dime. I would rather do Daily Fantasy with the Baltimore and the uh, Cincinnati than that one. I'm sorry, but that one's a little bit more investable as a DFS there. Let's go to Nancy in Wisconsin. Nancy. Booyah, Jim. Long-time listener here. Oh, I just wanted your opinion. What is your opinion of uh, the solar stocks, particularly Solar Edge? Is it time for these? The this thing, this thing's on. come down a lot. It's come down a lot. But you know what? I've been staying away from the solar stocks, and I haven't heard anybody in them. I feel good about that. Let's go to JJ in New York. JJ. Hey, Kramer. What's uh, up, JJ? I have a real estate investment trust. 20% is short and short interest. And okay. uh, they, they, they've made the increases in the dividends in 11 out of the last 13 quarters. Uh, Arbor Realty, a symbol of okay. okay, so I thought you were going to say, and here's the problem. I don't know what they own. And for all I know, they own bad real estate and they're doing whatever. They, I don't know. I mean, it's just too hard. There's these mezzanine financing is where I'm very worried. So I'm going to have to say, I'm going to have to say hard pass. Hard pass on that. Let's go to, to Kitty in California. Kitty. Hey, Val. listening to you and watching you for 25 years. And when I first started watching you, I had no idea what you were talking about. But I love. The I didn't either. <laughs> Well, I love the production value. I love all the bells. And well, that's, that's Regina Gilman. She's the best. Thank you. But anyway, so, okay, question. I was yeah. visiting my daughter last weekend in L.A. I live in Ojai, which is a suburb. Of oh, hi. How are you? Anyway. <laughs> oh, hi. I'm great. Actually, I don't call it Ojai. I call it Oz because it's so magical. But anyway, I was visiting my daughter and my granddaughters last weekend. Okay. And my daughter took me aside and said, guess what? Carly is obsessed with race car driving. Now, Carly is my 16-year-old bookworm. Book, book, what do you call it? When okay. you like to read books. Bookworm. Bookworm um, Eagle Scout. Okay? okay? She is obsessed with race car driving. Fabulous. So said, then she what? should be watching Sarah Eisen tonight. Uh, especially, we got the well, Formula One there. 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock. But go ahead. What else? Well, what do you do? What you do? I know. I've been watching all week. And so then I called my daughter and I said, is it Formula One? And she said, yes. Okay. So anyway, she said she and all of her friends are obsessed. So if she's right. obsessed and all, all of her friends go to camp in okay. Texas and yeah, they're that's all good. obsessed. Uh, let's wrap it up, Kitty. What do we got? What's the stock? Okay. I want to know the, the best way to play it. What about, uh, Liberty Media? Is that the yes! way? Yes. 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 <laughs> Joseph in New York, Joseph. Oh, Jersey. Joseph's in Jersey. Joseph. Oh, no. Hey, Joseph. Yeah, buddy, what's up? How are you today? Couldn't be better. How about you? Good, good, good. I'm calling today to get your thoughts on the future of uh, SQ Block. Uh, look, I think that they had a good quarter. My problem with it is, is that I like the MasterCards and the Visas now. We're getting away from the crazy fintechs of old. We like the fintechs of new. Oh, look, I hit this thing and it says, I did. no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm okay. 
Am I okay? I don't know. It says I'm okay. I have to say I'm okay. Or it'll do it like Tim Cook will get a call or something. Let's go to Teresa in Minnesota. Teresa. Jim, I bought Philip Morris in the 90s when it was dirt cheap. Okay. I'm addicted to the dividend, but I'm not happy with the company. What should I do? Well, then you sell it. I, I don't recommend tobacco stocks. Even though I, that, there's a guy who runs a company, a smart guy, but I, I'm not in the tobacco game. That's a bad business. That's a bad business. I want to go to Kelly. This is a never-ending guy. It's like four lightning rounds. We're going to cut it. We're going to show them all weekend. How about Kelly in Texas? Kelly. Booyah, Jim. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's the longest lightning round in history. Congratulations. You remember. Yes, sir. Uh, I need to let you know I just joined the club. I appreciate the staff and you doing Thank all you. the job y'all do. Thank you. Thank uh, Jeff, too. Thank you. Appreciate it. Just initiated a new position with uh, BDX. Well, look, did you, if you bought it after that big shortfall, I think you'll be fine. The company's very reactive, and it will fix the situation. And I, so I think you'll be okay. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by Charles Schwab. Coming up, from summit to endless summer, Kramer reveals a roster of stocks that could be poised to profit. Next. Sometimes you can't overthink things, like keep it simple, stupid. For example, I wish we had a simple ETF that would allow you to bet on friendly relations between our government and China after President Xi's state visit to San Francisco. Yep, I know I can put this ETF together myself, but all you need to do is look around the table at last night's gala dinner between American business executives and Xi Jinping as he attempted to connect with companies that could rekindle what had previously been a pretty darn good relationship. The attendees were some of America's best, with very few clunkers, which is why I want to turn the whole darn guest list into an ETF. We know tech remains the hottest area of the market. Who do we have around the table? First, there's Tim Cook, CEO of Apple. This dinner is very important for Apple because it verifies what Wall Street seems unable to believe. China likes Apple just fine. A few months ago, we were hearing rumors that China would ban government employees from using iPhones. Now it seems absurd. Apple gained share this quarter in Chinese cities, so let's overweight Apple in the Chinese ETF. Then there's Broadcom which makes cutting-edge semiconductors. Like Apple, this one's a huge position in my Chapel Trust. We bought Broadcom in part because we like this acquisition of VMware, which makes key data center software. Recently, CEO Hock Tan told us that this deal, which is being held up by Chinese regulators, will be closed very shortly. The dinner was she. It can only help the cause. Next, Qualcomm, it's been a fractious situation with me. This cell phone chip maker is trying to diversify into autos, but it's been a bit hit or miss lately. That said, Qualcomm's got a strong business in China and rounds out our ETF's tech exposure. Then we need some industrials, right? And there were plenty to choose from. Uh, how about Stanley Deal? He's the president and CEO of Boeing Commercial. And Darius Adamczak, chairman of Honeywell, which has a huge aerospace business. They can give us some great diversification. Both need China orders. Good to have them around the table, isn't it? I wish there were some a uh, little more consumer exposure at the dinner, but we have to be satisfied with Mark Parker, the legendary executive chairman of Nike, and Robert Goldstein. He's the chairman and CEO of Las Vegas Sands, which we informally call Macau Sands, because that's where they make all their money. Then again, after Alibaba, the Chinese e-commerce titan reported a huge letdown of a quarter and saw its stock plunge 9% today. Hey, maybe we should be glad for the lack of consumer CEOs at the dinner table. What else? I can't believe how lucky we are to have the best transport there is, none other than FedEx. As represented by CEO Raj Subramanian, Raj has already done a remarkable job of cutting costs and growing the organization. Hey, I praised him at the top of the show, but he needs big China for numbers. Pharma's there. Value plays only. Gilead and Pfizer. While Pfizer's not my favorite, it gives you 5.5% yield. And the Chinese Communist Party 
if they have a half brain, they'll start buying Pfizer's COVID vaccines because they work much better than the China's homegrown one. And I'm being I'm not being that qualitative about how bad those are. Don't don't know if this one actually counts. But Mark Casper, the CEO of Thermo Fisher Scientific, is also the chair of the U.S.-China Business Council. He was out there. And and last night he introduced U.S. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo. The Charitable Trust owns Thermo Fisher's competitor, Danaher, which has a huge Chinese medical instrument business. Good to see the industry represented. If there is a flaw in the China thawing ETF, well, it's way too overweight the financials. But it does have the best of breed. Evan Greenberg, the brilliant boss of Chubb, introduced Xi to the table. Insurance stocks are cheap. Larry Fink, the CEO of BlackRock and someone who knows China incredibly well, sat at the table, as did longtime China friend Steve Schwartzman from Blackstone. Now, I don't know Steve other than to shake his hand. Congratulate him for making it out of the school district next to mine. Uh, Larry, though, he can be the senior statesman and putative chief arbiter of how much U.S. investment will be directed to China. Oh, and how about having the co-CEO of an amazing private equity from Joe, uh, Joseph Bai of KKR. How do you say best in show? Finally, Visa CEO Ryan McNerney and MasterCard's chairperson, Mara Janow, were both there, the only two fintech plays, and the only two fintechs that I can recommend without reservation. Quite the group, balanced, filled with best of breeds. If only it were a real ETF, we might even be able to be willing to buy it. I'd probably pick it up from my travel trust, which would be a first for us. I'd like to say, as always, we'll work in summer. I'm probably fine just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash disclaimer. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.